2: Welcome guys to this week's episode of Heavy More Tones with me your podcast host Tony Evans taking you through a wild and wacky story this week um, Yeah, uh, I've often thought that in life there is forever the spinal tap moment and I think this is the another one of those spinal tap moments that you wouldn't believe it unless you heard it um, now it's a two part show so the beginning of the sh- show will be just a basic history of this particular album band and then the second part will be a review of the album so it's slightly longer I think we'll see how we go um, I haven't timed it so we'll go lots of notes, so if you hear me rattling paper um, that's just me as you know um, mucking around with my books and my notes right, so it's New Album's Forgotten Heroes in my opinion um, one of the greatest uh, new ever British heavy metal albums ever made and one of the pioneers of the, of the genre, yet unfortunately, um, not forgotten, but but not as as well known as they should be. Um, in my opinion, they should be up there with with this particular album. Anyway, they should be up there with Maiden and Saxon and people like that. They should be on the on the tip of your tongue when you're thinking of new wave of British heavy metal. So you know, way back in 1976. Um, in Wolverhampton, schoolboys formed a band. It's Brian Tatler, singer Sean Harris. Um, who was in the same year at school, and they uh, formed Diamond Head. Now, Diamond Head, at that point, was just a um, how do I say this nicely? It, they were ju- well, they were basically a Led Zeppelin cover band. You know, they just did Led Zeppelin sounding tracks. Nothing wrong with that, uh, if that's your beef, if that's your, if that's your, you know, your thing, good luck to you. Um, but then they took three attempts to get uh, a bass player for the rhyming on Colin Kimberly in 1978. They recorded two self-funded demos in 1979 uh, on a four-track. It took six hours to record, um, and it was recorded... Uh, they, sent the, they sent the tapes to Jeff Baker that sounds now sounds if for those who don't know what sounds is uh, those younger listeners or listeners overseas from the UK um, but I mean sounds was the music magazine or the music newspaper that everyone wanted to be in it was it was over NME which is the new musical express or sounds sounds they were very right they rivaled each other but um, they were the 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 paper to be in before Kerrang and Metal Hammer and all that sort of stuff. It really influenced the way that music was um, listened to and where the charts went, both those papers. So very powerful. Um, Nothing really came of it. um, But they were managed by... They did finally get um, two managers. They got uh, Ian Fraser and david morris now these were good old-fashioned old school managers right so um you know that um, i believe that david drove the band up and down the country um you know helped them get their gigs basically did everything they could old school you know like uh, spending every Pound he had in his pocket on the band Thinking they were going to go You know real Really far Um, Unfortunately uh, Sean's um, Sean managed to get uh, Well this is where it goes wrong Sean managed to get his um, His mother's Then boyfriend who she Worked for um, to listen to The demos and to invest In the The to try and invest in the band now this is where the spinal tap thing really starts to hit alright guys this is when unfortunately uh, with all all um, fantastic creative endeavors back then uh, it would have been a bit wry right so they managed to um, they managed to drop. They dropped their managers, Ian Fraser and David Morris, um, in favour of uh, Sean's mum and her boyfriend. All right. Now, this is where the big oops happens. Now, the mum's um, partner's name was Reg Fellows. Now, it did actually work at first. Um, they got, because of the demos, they managed to get a supporting act f- for then a um, small band beginning bigger ac ACDC and Iron Maiden at the Lyceum. In London, when the Lyceum is a theatre now, where the Lion King plays, um, but it used to be the main music venue, where you, all the punk stuff and all the metal stuff. It was very, it was a, quite a grungy little place um, in Covent Garden. But uh, and I remember going there when it was a, when it was a, uh, a music venue. So it was pretty, I mean, it was at its tail end when I went in the early eight mid 80s. Um, but yes. So that was a that was that worked. So they managed to get that 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 with a little bit of investment. That seems to happen, right? So you're thinking, okay. This can't be that bad, you know. The mum and mum and boyfriend are investing. They got they got managers, um, but the downfall became when um, when uh, they were advised by Sean's mum's boyfriend um, to. Uh, to change management. Now, unfortunately, Sean was still living at home at the time and so felt obliged, I think, um, to, to take their advice. Um, poor that it was because this is where, again, I keep saying, cause it goes bad, but, um, bad deals, um, and, and money issues occurred. Um, they had both Brian and his mum and, and and Sean's sorry both um both Reg and Sean's mum had un uh, unrealistic uh, expectations of the band. Uh they they were so um sort of convinced that this band were gonna be the new next Led Zeppelin that they kept holding out for record deals. Um they kept uh um pushing and and, and, and um looking for lucrative deals. But eventually, they couldn't. Um, they couldn't find anything because everyone kept, everyone kept, you know, pushing them aside because they kept wanting more and more and better deals. So they thought, they hang on, we better get an album out. We better record an album. So they recorded uh, with a local, um, at a, a local recording studio owned by a great a man, man with a great name called Muff Muffin, right. A great name. You don't get people like that anymore. Muff, muffin, right? So they record that, um, and what happens is they can't afford to pay for the recording, the weeks' worth of f- free recording. So what? What does? What do her mum and boyfriend? Mom, the mum of Sean, Sean's mum and boyfriend um, wrangle. And now this really gets me. I cannot believe this. They said Muff Muff and Pru, uh, provided them the free recording studio and time for fifty percent, fifty percent of publishing deals for the f- next fifteen years. Fifty percent of publishing deals. The, the publishing is where the band makes most of its money, right? So, all of a sudden, this small time record producer uh, uh, studio owner has managed to get fifteen percent a fifty percent of this small band's income, which makes it even smaller like it 's just ridiculous they, who would who would sign that kind of deal people that are not professional managers that 's the problem, and this band felt obliged to to use them, which is a real shame right but it gets even worse when they released the album, they released it in a small uh, batch of a thousand print, no stickers, no labels, just a white cover. The first two hundred and fifty were recorded um, by uh were signed sorry by the band right but here we go, and I've written this down as a the spinal tap moment right the spinal tap moment unbelievable um the person who was going to press the albums and then release them on his label have a guess Muff Muffin right so now as he got 50% of publishing deal he's also got the um the band's label he's got that band on his label so he's getting money from them as well so basically this poor band with so much talent so much incredible um potential is being held back by the fact that they had two good managers Ian, i think fraser went on to work with iron maiden um you know this right because of some female loyalty some loyalty to the mum's boyfriend uh sean you know um and what a, i mean amazing voice don't get me wrong just brilliant singer but there was a point where you got to go what's happening like i think this is the trouble again, I think this is an allegory for a lot of local um bands. It happened with um i watched the wham um documentary recently that uh with my lovely wife is a big wham fan, and same sort of thing happened you know writing contracts in cafes, not getting professional advice um being used by the industry when a time when the industry really was basically held together by the major labels. So, because they couldn't get eaten, they went independently, and the independents knew that they could make a killing out of these naive musicians who were riding a wave of a genre that was crack- cracking and breaking. I mean, let's be honest. I've told this about before. I think that new album is the uh, is the birth of heavy metal. I mean, I know that people go back to Purple and Black Sabbath. Yes, yes, but the actual um, birthplace of it. Um, Comes from the British uh, new wave of British heavy metal. Anyway, I mean, I could be wrong. Either way, it doesn't matter. But the these now, this particular album, this is so sought after by collectors, it's like the holy grail of new album uh, metal, heavy metal albums. It really is very hard to get hold of. It costs three pounds fifty originally on mail order only, and only available at gigs. So not only, not only were they were they restricted to sell it only at gigs but a mail order and the mail order was owned by mum muff muffin so here we go this this guy I don't know much more about him to be honest with you just gives me the creeps even thinking about him um he he really did control this band's history and and, and what a shame right um they <laughs> yeah, another again keep going about the spinal tap moments the they advertised the album. In Sounds for six weeks, right? Six weeks. The ab- ab- advertiser, album, and Sounds. Their management, i.e., Sean's mum and her boyfriend, didn't pay the bill, and got sued by Sounds. There you go. Really. So when they would have lost that, so not only were they they have to pay for the advertising, they would have to pay for the court fees. The band's not making millions of dollars. I mean, you, you work out. You work it out. A thousand. Copies at at thirty at £3.50 each. All right. I'm going to... One second. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, to pause this and I'm going to do my maths. It would be £3,500. Even back then, that wasn't a huge amount of money and you had to split that in all the different ways. 50% of that plus some of that goes to Muff Muffin, right? And his record label. So you're looking at 1750 goes to the band which then has to be spit to the management then has to be paid for transport and for accommodation and advertising it's pennies right sorry about the noise on the mic I've ordered a new mic Um, it's coming I just it, if I even look at it these days it seems to hum right anyway that will get changed but the it, so and it <laughs> the original masters were lost now listen to this I mean the original masters were lost um, when sent to Germany. They sent the masters to Germany uh, to a record label out there, Wolf Records, um, and, yep, they just seemingly disappeared. And it wasn't until 1990 to Lars Ulrich from Metallica, and this will come uh, obviously more obvious when I get to talk about the actual album on the second part of the show, but um, Lars tracked it down with the help of... Um, his record label because they produced an album in 1990 called the uh, New Wave of British Heavy Metal 1979 Revisited which I've never actually heard I've never seen it so it's out there somewhere obviously Um, but that that itself um, was a good thing wasn't it because they managed to track the Masters down because they released it on CD um, before the Masters were found and um and it was all sorts of glitches. So if anyone has um, "Lightning to the Nation," um, "Lightning for the Nation," sorry, uh, on CD one of the early prints, you'll hear that there's a skipped intro, there's um, missing bits. It's pretty poor transfer um, to that amazing album, and so that's the, that was their legacy until 1990, until Lars found the print course now we've got wonderful i just bought a reissue of it um uh, recently for 59 dollars us sorry australian which is not that much really and it's a fantastic fantastic uh 100, 180 gram reissue print of it with a beautiful artwork it's actually the artwork i believe that the german label gave it because um they actually gave it artwork and they gave it a presentation whereas the you know I think Muff's label was it Happy Records didn't do that, you know. So, sorry, things. So, you know, so it it sort of. They were advised to drop their management, right? They were advised to drop their management by uh, by, um, a media producer called Pete Winkleman of Media Records. But they declined that to stay with their management because um, he was going to take over and look after him. Um, and he did, for a little while, he did um, a one single form. They reissued the, the, the single Sweet and Innocent, um, Back with the uh, Streets of Gold, uh, which was released in 1980. But one single, and that's all they did. They didn't go and stay with him. And so, you know, continuing on, you get absolutely awful, awful, uh, downfall because they got their break in January 1981. They opened for April Wine, a Canadian heavy rock band, um, middle, middle of the me, not my kind of thing. You might like it. I don't know. Um, but the, the stupid management um, put all of the money they had into a big Pan truck, um, lighting, sound. They hired the local chapter of Hell's Angels to do um, their uh, bouncing and their security. Um, and it just basically, they had to record a, a four-track EP called Diamond Lights to fund it. And they recorded it in three days. Um, and to no surprise, it lost money. What, what a surprise, right? Um, it had no advertising. They, they advertised, they did not advertise one bit that they were touring. They did not advertise one bit about the EP. Yet they expected um, to make money hand over fist to help this these lads um you know uh, reach their potential i mean i mean i've gone on about it a bit on this show but i agree. it's just amazing isn't it that to think that i mean i think it probably still happens today really but i think nowadays people produce themselves more independently and they don't use management as much as they probably used to but you know it is that you know that bit in spinal tap where um where the the wife of the of guitarist he they're talking about you know you can't record the album in Dobley and uh, and then <laughs> and um, the album comes and it's blacker than black you know and and uh, they just the nonsense of someone who thinks they, they know better than the professionals It um, yeah, really really uh, stuns me. Um, I just when I was researching this over the last few days, I mean, I knew that they had a bit of a, tra- uh, um, a sort of checkered past, but I always look beyond that because the album itself is such a great album. Like it's so full of iconic moments that just you know that changed the way that some music, you know, some metal even was made. Um, unfortunately, you know, boom, but, but, all things did change because A and R man Charlie Ear quit his job from A&M Records um, to go to MCA to uh, sign the band. He was so enthusiastic about the band. He also signed Musical Youth, but um, we can't hold that against him, you know, because we don't always want to pass the duchy on the left-hand side, if you know what I mean. That's a reference to the song. Um, Sadly, I think they all went to prison for drug offences, did they not, I believe? I don't want to besmirch anyone in the band, but I think that was the case, or it could have been tax evasion, one of those ones. I say evasion, you say aversion. You know what I mean. Um, and they managed to actually finally land a five-album deal on the January the first, nineteen eighty-two, which was, you know, brilliant, right? Absolutely brilliant. Uh, but before we can sort of get to the album, right, and the you know, we and we talk about. On the album on the B side of this show. Um, I just want to say that um, they did get some breaks. They managed to open. They managed to replace. They were given the replacement spot for Man of War at Reading um, because that met Man of War pulled out. It was recorded for the Friday Night Rock Show by Tommy Vance. Um, so it wasn't all downward. Always all a downward look, right? Um, the first MCA record, Borrowed Time, um, had the most expensive sleeve that the album, the album um, label would ever produce—a double album, a double like a gatefold. Um, it was uh, designed by Rodney Matthews. There's a lot of um, sort of uh, Celtic artwork. Um, it got to uh, number twenty-four in the charts. Um, it was heavily played by Tony Vance. Um, the third album unfortunately not so good it was an experimental album originally going to be called making music and then it was made turned into the album canterbury now i've got canterbury it is an odd album to say the least all right it was all experimental um half the band left uh it sort of you know the drummer uh, had a nervous breakdown only recorded six sort of moments six tracks in six weeks um, after the album was completed the bass player left uh, it was basically really um sort of i think the the years of mismanagement and focus and direction really killed them off sadly um they're still going of course um you can still see them at festivals they still play around different lineup now of course but that's okay they still play their you know this the album the one they're known for um, the one that's like for me um, like the cornerstone as I said at the beginning of the program um, for, of, the, of the of the genre along with Iron Maiden's Iron Maiden you know um, it is it is a fantastic fantastic album now let me wrap up this side sorry I'm, I'm trying to read from my notes which makes me distracted because I'm flicking papers around normally it's off the top of my head but I actually woke up with a bit of a migraine this morning and uh, so a little bit of uh little bit of vagueness runs in there um anyway so wrapping up poorly managed brilliant musicians spinal tap moments um also sorry because of the failure of uh, canterbury uh, mca uh, rene- uh, cancelled their deal they did not um, um put the money up for a third album uh, which is a real shame, isn't it? I mean, that's another thing these with record labels in, and I suppose so much these days now as well is they're not willing to, you know, um, to to keep faith. I mean, Meridian were lucky, weren't they? Because Misplaced Childhood came out. Um, sorry, uh, squiffage Justice II was an absolute smash. Fugazi, the second album, fared poorly, and they were worried that they were going to get the pull, the pin plug by EMI. They managed to hold in recorded, you know. This place Childhood, the biggest album they ever recorded, one of the biggest albums of nineteen eighty-five. Um, and you know, made huge money and therefore the band were back in favour. I think a lot of labels, particularly the smaller labels, you know, MCA is a smallish label, um would have thought, well, hang on, well, you know, the average cost to make an album, uh, you know, let's say the average cost is about a hundred thousand. Well they, if they if they get the hundred thousand I and mean, they don't get that back in sales well they lose don't they um but you gotta i suppose you gotta take a punt you gotta take a risk sometimes these albums get a second life as a cult album like the like i said the first amazing diamond hit album now it's you know it sells big numbers all over the place but it didn't when it first appeared right and that's a lot of the case with all good art really sometimes art does take longer to, to, to gel in the, into the um, consciousness and the mindset of, of its listeners. But anyway, that's enough of me rambling on. We'll chat on the other side about the album more in, in, in detail and its influence. Anyway, enjoy the ads. Um, I know I do. And I'll talk to you on the other side. Bye, guys.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: before i start the second part of the show i forgot to mention um that uh i've just tacked this in because i've recorded the program and completely forgot um from future on now you can now uh listen to the show on youtube you just go just go to the youtube and type in heavy metal tones and you should find me um i'm slowly putting up episodes i'm down to about 20 or 30 up so far Um, i can only do three or four a day uh, as the algorithm lets me and there's 120 episodes to do so if you do want to um, go and listen to it there please be my guest if you want to go and leave some uh, comments great um, please do so please try and be positive Um, negativity hurts doesn't help anyone Um, subjective not reactive as i like to keep saying anyway so future going on, it'll be on every platform, of course. If you go on, if you're listening to me on um, iTunes, please do give me a review, because it helps me um, get to more iTunes listeners, because it, it helps with the algorithm. That's enough for me. I'm going to hand over to Tony to talk to you in the second part about lightning to the nations. Cheers for listening. Welcome back, guys, to part two of the show. Now, um, the review for this album is going to be the 2020 release. Um, it has three extra tracks on it uh, that are cover versions. Um, we won't really cover them too much because I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about original releases. So if you were listening to the album and want to, along with me or after the, sh- after the show, um, when the and you go to Spotify because you'll only get the 2021 on there I believe you want it to end um, it ends the final track of the original release of the album ends with Helpless it's a seven track album you've got Lightning to the Nations The Prince Sucking My Love Am I Evil Sweet and Innocent It's Electric and Helpless and after that um, it has special the, the there is a few more tracks um, that are uh that are added on. There is a cover version of um, in, an Immigrant Song uh, by Led Zeppelin. There is uh, Sinner by Judas Priest and Rap Bap Blues by Deep Purple. So let's not talk about those because most of us know those songs. Um, they are brilliant versions. I would highly recommend you listening to them. Uh, but let's this, this start with Lightning to the Nation, shall we? The Accord to Arms on this album. I personally think at four minutes fifteen is one of the um, cornerstones of the movement. It opens with uh, fantastic um, sort of instrumental piece. You know the guitars surge, the drums kick in, um, the bass is rumbling, the vocals then take into that with this fantastic kind of Robert Plant sort of wail, and you get your um, you get your. Typical Nawabum um, anthem-esque music and, and song, right? It is, it's, it's. I think criminally underrated. It, in my opinion, um, should have been. This it's is one of those songs. That if you're going to put it with, um, like, if you're having a top five, new or, or a top ten Nawabum anthemic songs that you would in, on a sing on an album somewhere. Uh, Lightning to the Nations and uh, Am I Evil, both of this album, would belong along with Iron Maiden's Iron Maiden and um, Priests um, you know, Breaking the Law you know uh, um, Sab- uh, Moatheads, Ace of Spades it would be all there, right? Um, and you can see with this album why um, bands like Metallica uh, and Megadeth and Anthrax all have that Sound they have now, because it really comes really from the birth of this album, particularly from "Am I Evil," which is on the B side, the second side of the album, track four. Now these aren't short pieces of music; these are you know three tracks on the opening side it is pretty daring for its time. Um, you have "Lightning to the," like, I said, "Lightning to the Nations," which again is a call to arms, musically fantastic, dirty wonderful kind of um you know gibson flying b brian's uh, gibson is just squeals on it and then we move into um track two right track two for me uh, is my favorite on the album alongside of um, alongside of am i evil and that's the prince the Prince has got a real dynamism to it, a real thunderness to it, um, almost sort of progginess uh, at 6 minutes 27. Um, I'll give you the lyric because I find it uh, the lyric here actually uh, quite fascinating. Let me just get my lyric sheet up for it one moment. This is, you know, well, let's get, where was I? I'm going to get there. All right, okay. Now also you can get this album that's not the 2020 print but i just like the way this is mixed it's been re it's been cleaned and it's got a stronger uh dynamism it's got a better separation on it okay let's get the lyric up here we go right now i see his face i see his smile such a lovely place no golden mile his eyes tell of morbid towers of He's black heart. His deeds through ages past. Tell of his part. See his face, see his smile, time to die. Oh, angel from below, change my dreams. I want for glory's hour, for wealth's esteem. So basically, you know, it's it's a sort of typical New Orleans trope of using fantasy, um, which a lot of the early bands did. Um, a lot of history of stuff, Maiden did it as well. Um, so did Saxon, um, but mainly those sort of bands like that, sort of, um, another one was um, Praying Mantis. But it sort of does. It has that sort of chivalric shirilv- shir- is that the right word? It's chivalry. It has a chivalrous feel to it. It has a, 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 a I'm going to protect you, my princess kind of, I don't know, vibe. But the the music is so different to everything else that was sort of around that time. It, it really shows that with a little bit more... Um, nurturing and a little bit more right management as we mentioned the first part of the show poor management um they could have been as big as maiden and sadly they should have been really uh, that we should be thinking about them in the same um the same uh sort of mindset i I don't know how they would have gone i mean maiden became maiden because diano left and dickinson joined and i know that's quite controversial but that is the truth um they could expand and stretch themselves who knows what as I said, after Canterbury, which is a bit of a mess of an album, um, where they were going to go, um, I think it was too early for them to experiment three albums in, you know, um, personally. But anyway, we moved from The Prince, uh, which is a cracker of an album, to one of the, in my opinion, one of the things that makes people cringe when they watch Nawabam videos or listen to new album bands of the early era. And this is sucking my love. This is called. Um, honestly, sorry. I get this whole um, spinal Tap's like my love pump vibe. Um, it's all about. It's full of sectional innuendo and machismo, and it. It's like that our whole bit in spinal tap with, where you know he's wearing the, the He says, "Oh, only men come to my gig. Our gigs because girls are too scared because you know we've got, we've got monsters in our pants." You know that sort of thing. It's a little bit. Oh, cringeworthy. I mean, the music's all right. It's nothing spectacular. Good solo in it, but it's just—I don't know. I would drop that off the album and put something else on. I just think that there's a a little bit too juvenile. And I know they were youth when they wrote it. They were teenagers, but and teenagers think were their pricks. We know that. We know that. We all did, right? Um, but still, I don't know. It's it seems. Um, immature, and naive, um, to the point of 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 cringiness. So you know, as a one downside to the album is this song. I really, um, it's a shame. It's a real shame. It closes it closes off um, that side of the album, really. Uh, but it does. It's nine minutes as well. It's like, like I love a long song, guys. I really love a good song. It's got some fantastic musical parts. Take the lyric out. Keep it an instrumental. It would be brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant. Um, then we flip over the album, and we come to what is considered like, uh, along with Angel, which is Angel Witch, i Man's I Made, as I mentioned earlier, um, Mothead's Ace of Spades, Breaking the Law by Priest. Am I Evil is is one of the best sing along, um, dark singles of the early eighties. You know the lyric "Am I evil? Yes, I am. Am I evil? I am." Man, ah, oh, it's brilliant. It's about basic about watching his mum being burnt as a witch, and his revenge on the he, her on her. Um, he may have been watching uh, Witchfinder General. Who knows? The brilliant movie with uh, Vincent Price that was out around that time. So maybe there was a lot of those movies out. in The Devils by Ken um, Ken Russell. One of my favourite movies of all time. I've, I've talked about it before. Um, a lot of that kind of witch movies were around then in the satanic panic of the 80s. So, uh, late 70s, early 80s. So, Am I Evil? It's just, again, you you go from the immatureness of sucking my love to this brilliant piece of of, of lyrical thought, in you know, this sort of wonderful piece of... Um, I don't know Jungianism is it or, or or some kind of philosophy you know am I evil yes I am am I evil I am man brilliant absolutely bloody brilliant right um, musically fantastic lyrically one of my favorite lyrics of any heavy metal song to be fair along with angel which is angel which um, and you know it just know, beggars belief really and then we move into the single the single that came afterwards, their first single, "Sweet and Innocent," uh, is exactly what it says on the package. It is very Zeppelin-y. It's very young love. It's it's the antithesis of "Sucking My Love." It really, really is. It's beautiful. It's innocent. It has this sort of um, '60s sort of vibe that I really, I really dig. Um, man, you know what I'm saying? Man, I really dig it. Um, it's it's. It's a nice counterbalance to, to Am I Evil? Uh, it, it, the perfect um, dessert for the main meal of that particular song. It's got a brilliant guitar solo in it. It's got a lovely rocky vibe. It's got almost some sort of like um, status quo-esque, um, you know, another song, jump, jump, another song kind of a feel to it. It chumps along. You can hear Brian's fantastic Flying V, Gibson chugging away. It's a really nice, nice, nice piece of music. And then we go into It's Electric. Now, It's Electric polarizes me um, because it's a bit, uh, I don't know, I'd say pandering to an American audience. I don't know if that's the right term. But it has this sort of later Def Leppard sort of linnard-skinned, journey, kind of AOR feeling guitar, vocal lyrical point, it's about making it in a band, obviously in a heavy heavy rock band because it's talking about being electric Uh, you know it's got that kind of, I don't know, T-Rexity to it, that's okay I like that, I love T-Rex, we all love T-Rex but it has that sort of that and that sort of um. I don't know. Not the Thin lizziness, because Thin Lizzy had that swagger. This is a bit. I don't know. It feels like it's pandering to the American audience. It feels like the sort of thing that you know, bare-chested Texans um, with medallions and tight jeans, you know, um, flares, you know, would sort of really dig. Um, and I just don't know. It it leaves me cold. So I mean, that and "Sucker My Love," it just goes. Mm. It's still a great song. Don't get me wrong, it's just it's just, it's just, one of those ones you could skip and not worry. He's got a good solo in it, it's musically very good. It's just this sort of almost faux-American accent that he puts on when he's singing it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, and then we end the album on Helpless. And I really love Helpless because it's got a brilliant... Uh, Brilliant, thundering drum opening piece. It changes direction quickly. It's got a uh, a simple lyric. Uh, It's you know I can I'll um I will I will grab you the lyric for this. One second. Here we go there we go look at this live i've got to see you moving fast see you come my way see the dreams i hope they last never fade away got to see the lights above make it loud tonight got it to set it all on fire set it all alight i can see the flashing lights i hear the thunder roll i'm gonna set you alight gonna make it man I'm, i ain't no i ain't got no choice gotta fill this hall tonight helpless so again very educated because these are boys from the black stuff from a part of the world that was really ravaged by um, Thatcher's uh, governments. you know, closing dockyards, closing factories, privatising industry. It was all about, you know, um, it was coming into that point where it was all about yuppies and filofaxes, the, the amount of money um, that was being sucked from the north to to to... to, um, to to back up the the whims of the of the south, um, and this is coming from a southerner, but I've got northern family, and I know I lived through those times, and know exactly what it was like, and it was really dire, and the only way out was rock and roll uh, for a lot of bands, But, you know, um, even the classics like Black Sabbath, they got out of their out of their industries and out of the the the, the, the black lung. Um disease, which is pneumo which is um black lung, which is horrible. My grandfather died of. He was a minor. Um, and then he grew up. No <laughs> oh there we go. Joking. He was a minor, so he could never get into 18 movies. <laughs> oh, love all those jokes. Um anyway, yeah. He uh they just had to break free, and that lyric tells you, and it's brilliant way they end the album on because it's saying, Hey, I've got to get out of here. You've heard the album. Now let me tell me what you think, let us get away, let us be famous, we've got the talent. Um, And it it does show, they did have the talent, they did have the the ability, they could write brilliant songs, they could also write some awful lyric that was probably, you know, with better management, and this is another thing, um, with better management, hindsight, I would have gone to them and said, look guys, I don't know if Sucking My Love is a song that I'd put on the album. I mean, you're going to polarize your audience. I suppose back then in '78, '79, '80, they didn't really think about polarizing audiences. That they just wanted to make songs, and it was something they'd written probably as young kids. It just—it was again a little bit too Spinal Tap for me. Um, but anyway, it's a brilliant album. If I was to give it a rating, which I don't do out of ten, I'm going to give it nine because two of the songs, or even eight, because two of the songs do jar with me. Um, but there is a, they are a, uh, that is a, unfortunately, it's what can I say? It, it's a moment of its time. It, it's it's a it's a it's a space in history when this stuff was made. I mean, to be fair, the only band that didn't really succumb to it was Maiden. Didn't succumb to that kind of stuff. I mean, later on, yeah, Charlotte the Harlot and, and Twenty Two Acacia Avenue, but they were a bit more educated and clever than just going on about you know. Uh, de, um, basic sexual innuendo and um, you know, which, which a lot of these bands did pander to um, sadly, but musically wonderful if you ignore the lyric, the music will take you on a journey which you'll be happily to go with them uh, what a shame that they never were as big as they were but this album is definitely worth the listen if you've never listened to it when you've put this podcast to bed and you've listened to the end go and grab some streaming version of it. Uh, fortunately, I think the only version is the 2021, but the live, the three cover versions at the end are really worth it. You can hear the influence. Um, the Metallica song is well apt, very apt, because Metallica cover Am I Evil a lot, so it would be very good for them you to hear that. Uh, I really love the, the, the Immigrant Song version. I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan, but I do get drawn along with that song. And, you know... <laughs> If I was choosing a Deep Purple song, would I choose Rat Bat Blues? Probably not. But you know, hey, they all have their favourites. They all have their influences, and that's their influence. So, anyway, what am I to who am I to, to judge? I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed uh, the potted history of a band that could have been more, the cautionary tale of a band that you know of what not to do, um, how much Spinal Tap Rita has influenced a lot of thought in the world these days and how we all do think about Spinal Tap moments and a brilliant, brilliant album that begs you to listen to it that you can, see, that really sits in the pantheon of the greatest heavy metal albums ever made um, sadly, not on the lips of everyone and they should be that's right, Lightning to the Nations by Diamond Head um, brilliant, brilliant band great bunch of guys I've seen interviews with them Brian still rock and rolls the band, still takes it on tour. If you ever get a chance to see them, yes, it's not the original lineup, but you do get to see one member of the band, and he is brilliant. Anyway, that's me for the day, um, for the week, for the hour, for the moment. Um, chat to you next week. I've got an interview lined up with a brilliant band from Perth coming up. Um, whether that comes out next week, I don't know. Uh, Interviews this Thursday coming with a band called uh, The Burning, uh, brilliant horror-based th- uh, thrash metal band, right up my alley, right in my ballpark. So let's hope that you, in- I get that happens and you get to enjoy that. Anyway, talk to you soon, guys. Bye for now.